Welcome to Hashing Out the Law, Episode 3, Fun Facts of Medieval Law. I'm your host, Arash Hashemi. This is a podcast where we discuss and hash out legal issues that affect our everyday lives. On this episode, all the way from Atlanta, we have Hollis Joe McCollum as our guest. Hollis is an author and an expert in medieval Europe. Today, she's going to discuss some of the punishments for breaking the law in medieval times. However, before we get into that, um, I wanted Hollis to tell us a little bit about her new book, which she wrote. Hollis, (laughs) welcome. Well, thank you so much. Hi. Hi, my pleasure to have you on this show. Now, what is the title of your book? Uh, My book is called To Save a World, and it is a fantasy adventure novel with a little bit of a romantic subplot. Not too much, but a a little bit, because I love that sort of thing. And it's basically um, your pretty standard idea of what a fantasy adventure novel would be in a very big picture sense, wherein the characters all have to save the world uh but they all also go through sort of this internal struggle and the whole growing up phase for themselves and coming coming to know who they really are as well as struggling with um the right decision versus the selfish decision in life because in order for them to do what needs to be done uh the characters need to make a huge self-sacrifice And they do have a choice not to do it. They could just say, you know, everything's not, I'm just going to step away. And, but they of course choose not to do that. And they do the, the right thing as opposed to the selfish thing and uh, end up saving the world. (laughs) So they choose not to break the law and then they save the world. That's very interesting. Yeah. Or the (laughs) the prophecy as it were (laughs) from, from the ordained uh, fantasy world <laughs> okay is it would you compare your book to like uh lord of the rings or harry potter or neither of those well um it, it's uh it's really not comparable to either of them but if you if i wanted to say a flavor uh, if you will the flavor is more similar to a lord of the rings style adventure than it is to uh to a harry potter one um i love both of those uh universes very much but I in my writing I lean more toward um, the uh, the kind of Lord of the Rings setting where I did create my own fantasy world, uh, the world of Rashan, and so it nothing takes place on Earth. This is a complete imagination place, and uh, they they live there in the world itself. Uh, the gods have all killed each other off. There was a big war, heavenly war, as I call it, and the gods killed each other off, and the world needs saving because. That there's there's no one uh, to to dictate what happens uh, to to the planet. There's no one controlling the seasons and all these things. So we have mountain ranges popping up overnight and uh, crazy heat waves in the middle of winter and just blisteringly cold the next day. And you know, so so it's, it's like awful. a <laughs> it's a it's a lawless land, right? Yes, it's a lawless <laughs> land. It is everyone is is dying. It nothing makes sense anymore. And uh, so, yeah, from from the perspective of that, you would bring the, the characters in a sense, in a very large sense, are looking to uh, reawaken some of the gods or bring them back to life, if you will, and therefore restore law and order to the natural way of things because 
with everything in chaos and being completely lawless, be that the laws of nature and everything else, everything is crumbling. And, and so they initially set out to just save their own personal tribe of people, but then it turns into this much larger thing and they end up uh, restoring balance and, and natural law to, to the world. Okay. All right. And then your book is available on Amazon uh, and Barnes and Noble. Uh, and I'm assuming if they just put in the title of the book or your name, uh, they can uh, find it. Most certainly. Uh, my name works a little bit better because there aren't many Hollis Joe McCullums out there in the world. So if you Google my name, then uh, you're going to get all of the links pop up for you uh, in your first page of Google. In first two pages of Google results will be all of, all of that. Um, to Save a World, uh, it will pop up with just the title, but you might have to dig a little bit more. So I would suggest Googling my name. And do you have a website that people can go to and actually uh, find the book through your website directly? Uh, yes. And that um, it is a free Wix site. So I forgive me, I can't remember the URL exactly, <laughs> but uh, my social media is actually more of a direct way to get to links to my book. Uh, my, my Facebook is Hollis Joe McCullum, just my full name. And then my Instagram is at Hollis Joe McCullum, no spaces or anything like that. So no problem. And yeah. we'll, we'll make sure we put all these links in, in, in our posts uh, for our listeners. Now let's get back to um, what we wanted to talk about or what I wanted to talk about. Cause I'm selfish yeah. uh, and, and it's a, uh, laws now um you're a history uh, buff and myself i'm a history buff too and it fascinates me to talk about history in particular uh some laws that back then were normal but to us are just archaic for lack of better terms oh yes um so let's you tell me the 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 where are we 1300s 1200s what um. what well, um, you know, the, the, middle, the Middle Ages or medieval era, it's a little kind of fuzzy where it begins and ends. But I very generally tend to think of it from about the year 700 AD to the year uh, 1450 to 1500 uh, AD. And um, again, depending on the country and all these other things, it might be a little earlier or later than that, but that is a hugely generalized rough scope for, for you of, of where okay. I, I think the, the medieval era lies. Okay. So let's, let's talk about, I'm just going to pick something uh, off the top of my head. Let's talk about adultery. So mm -hmm. nowadays adultery is not on the books uh, or if it is in some jurisdictions, it's not, um, it's not persecuted, but let's say it's the 1100s mm -hmm. and you are in Europe, um, Italy or, okay. or s some other country uh, and you are being accused of adultery. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously the church is the, the largest power during this area. Yes. Who's going to prosecute you? Is it going to be the church or the town magistrate? Could you, could you tell us what happens if you're accused of adultery? Uh, well, in the case of adultery and a lot of the time with medieval law, uh, let me preface this a little bit with medieval law, a lot of 
what happens is the local the local parish uh you because the you know the catholic church is so heavily intertwined with the law in the medieval era in europe you you cannot separate it it's essentially the church was the law right. and um so in the year 1100 if if you committed adultery in the city of florence italy for example uh you you might uh you you were at the mercy of your of the, the priest or the um the, the highest ranking religious official of your of your area in, in in florence that might be a bishop uh so that bishop would then almost sort of put you on trial but it wouldn't be trial like we know it today um, <laughs> they might call witnesses and things but there was no jury um at this point uh the jury was added a little bit later at least in Italy, it was added a little bit later, but uh, they would hear witnesses. They oftentimes the the official would give you um, cause to, uh, you know, defend yourself almost a little bit because what if somebody's lying and they would want to look at that. But one of the more interesting things about medieval law is because the church was in charge of it and because it was pretty much locally enforced especially around the year 1100, the idea or the thought process was that only God has the right to pass judgment and human beings do not. Okay. And so that is one of the reasons the church official was the one who was the conduit for, for punishment, if you will. Um, because oftentimes, and this is very much depending on the area that you lived in, the local government and the ideas of the bishop or priest at that particular place, they might put you through a physical trial to prove your innocence. Because if you stick your hand in a boiling pot of water and um, your blisters and everything do not heal quickly, then that means that you are in fact a liar because God did not heal your wounds quickly. And, and I know this sounds completely barbaric and backwards, but it's what they it, one of the things they might do. The other thing is that the bishop would, after he hears statements, he might go pray on it and ask God. And then, of course, this was the bishop's interpretation or what his true feelings were. But then he would come back and say, God has told me that you are a liar and... Um, or that you have committed adultery. And then that could be from being stoned to death <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to um, getting, uh, getting whipped and, or, or um, taken, dragged down the streets in chains while people threw rotten food and feces at you. It's, um, it's very up to the particular region and I mean, down to the, the town you lived in, because an overarching law of the country didn't exist in medieval times uh, like we have today in most countries. Uh, it was really God's law. And that law was in, was up to the interpretation of the highest ranking person in your local government. So the, the bishop or the local priest would actually be the most powerful person in that court or I'm sorry, in that town, mm -hmm. at least when it came to dispensing law, correct? 
Correct. In in most okay. cases in medieval in medieval Europe, yes. All right. Um, and then um, I remember reading the Scarlet Letter when I was in junior high school or high school. Oh, yes. And, uh, yep. <laughs> Nathaniel Hawthorne. And, um, but that was in medieval times. That was early American times before the revolution. Correct. But it, it reminds me of the same thing. Um, so and then it reminded me of, of, of another thing. If you are being accused of being a witch now. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, and correct me if I'm wrong, I remember is they would tie you up and throw you in the local body of water, Mm -hmm. the lake or the river. And if you drowned, then you were not a witch and you were found to be innocent. And if you floated, you were a witch. Is that correct? Absolutely. That is one of the, (laughs) that's one of the things. It was one of the tests that people would do. It was probably the most common way to test a witch, so to speak. And of course, it's darned if you do, darned if you don't. You can't win in that scenario. You're going to die one way or the other. It's just, (laughs) you know, do you want to die by drowning or do you want to die by fire? What's your favorite? Right, but if <laughs> but if you die by drowning, then then your soul goes to heaven because you're not a witch and you, you're found to be innocent. Correct. <laughs> you just you just didn't don't get to enjoy life anymore. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. depending on how um, strong your particular religious convictions were, because I think a common misconception that people have about the common man or woman of the medieval era is that they were all staunchly religious. And uh, that's not really true. The church was definitely in charge and people were more religious uh, as a general population than we are now probably. But there were still a ton of people out there who just sort of said, oh yeah, I'm going to go through the motions, sure, church on Sunday, da 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 And, but they didn't really believe and in their private lives, they just sort of let it go. Uh, the the old timey atheist or, or or whatever, or even the people still practicing um, the what what were considered or what are considered pagan uh, religions now. And so, a lot of the time, those people who were accused of witchcraft were, in fact, those people who were not as staunchly and as vocally religious simply because they were much more casual about their feelings about God. And, uh, and that would be one of the reasons they'd get accused or honestly, because maybe a neighbor was jealous or they just had a personal dislike for them. Uh, the, the accusing of, of witches was unfortunately usually a petty accusation and right. yeah. So let's say you're accused of being a witch because the neighbor doesn't like you. You just bought a brand new horse and a cart and the neighbor is jealous and says you're a witch. Mm-hmm. Um, do you automatically get to go to this tribunal against you or is, does there have to be any other evidence except somebody saying you're a witch? Um, well, generally, yeah, officially, yes. Uh, King James, uh, and of course this is getting a little past the medieval era, but King James I actually wrote... Uh, the manual, if you will, on on witchcraft, and um, and he himself uh, saw a lot in the early uh, witch trials of England. He himself saw a lot of um, uh, people personally, and kind of decided whether or not they were witches, and that 
that would be usually they would say, okay, well, if you have a mole on your body, like a specific type of mole um, that was all not not a, like a big one. And and of course, those things are just things that happen randomly to people. You could have a birthmark or just be one of those people who has a big mole on their on their shoulder or something. But they would um, oftentimes make the person strip nude and search their body for a mole or a third nipple or or anything on the body that was considered anomalous, not quite normal. And if you had an, a weird birthmark or anything like that, then they, they would point to that and say, oh, clearly that's the mark of, of the devil right there. That's mm, third nipple. That's a devil thing. And they would then be accused of being a witch and taken to death based on that. So it wouldn't it wouldn't pay to have any malls or birthmarks in medieval times. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. And the thing is, you know, of course, nowadays, if we have something that looks funny, we can just go to the dermatologist and say, please, please remove my mole on my face. I don't like it. And they can just do that. But they, you know, people back then didn't do that. And so if you had a funny mark, you you just lived with it. Um, but if you were accused of being a witch, that funny you know, could condemn you to death. Right. So the church being the most powerful um, entity in those times, what about blasphemy? What if you're accused of blasphemy? What, what is your punishment? Oh, well, and this, this is something that, again, does depend on lo- everything I'm going to say is going to depend on your local government because that's that's how it was in medieval times. Everything was pretty local. And so it would depend on the severity of the, uh, the high-ranking religious official in charge. And some of them were very kind. You know, it, not everybody's a jerk. <laughs> and some, some of the people in charge were like, all right. And they would give you a little slap on the wrist. And they might, they might have, but you, you could still be, be, being stoned to death is one of the most ancient ways of punishing people. I mean, being stoned to death has been around since, the, well, frankly, the Stone Age. But it is something that, <laughs> <laughs> that is carried through. And, um, and, and people are still stoned to death in our modern day, which is an extraordinarily horrible thing. Uh, but it is, it is something that would happen in the medieval era as well. However, so you could get you could get I'm sorry, you could get stoned to death for blasphemy. You could, depending on the discretion of your religious uh, official, you could get um, you could get hung. Uh, You could get put in the stocks. You know, those those you see them in cartoons all the time with the the boards where you put your head through it and your two arms and they're stuck there for a while. Right. Yep. You could be put in the stocks for several days uh, for blasphemy. And oftentimes you know, when you're in the stocks, you're free game for abuse out in the streets. And if people didn't like what you did, then they could walk up to you and hit you and, you know, put poo on your face and whatever, whatever they wanted. Uh, they, they could just, they could just abuse you uh, in public for as long as you were in those stocks. And you might be denied food or water during that time. And oftentimes people would die unintentionally in the stocks just because, you know, back then they didn't have the the knowledge that we have now. You know, now it's pretty common knowledge. Like, okay, you can live for uh, for 
seven days without food, but you can only live for three days without any water. And like, we, we know this, but they didn't know that back then. So, or you could get it locked up for a few weeks or, or, or a few days. You could get just thrown in a prison cell and said, okay, well, you're going to think about what you did. Um, I would say probably across the board, the more common punishment for blasphemy would be to be locked up for a few days in a crappy, dark cell or put in the stocks for people to, to slap around for a day and then, and then put out. But if the, if the person in charge was uh, much more severe, shall we say, then you could be hung for it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Now let's move on to something else. You go to the local, and I'm talking about right now. Mm-hmm. You go to the local market. You steal a candy bar. I oh, don't want to they do catch that. You. <laughs> <laughs> they, they catch you. You're charged with petty theft, mm-hmm. okay? Misdemeanor, maybe even an infraction. Right. Or you go to, the, you go to Macy's, or I'm sorry, let's, let's go to um, Bloomingdale's. Let's go somewhere more than Macy's, Bloomingdale's, mm-hmm. you steal a cashmere sweater and you're charged with a misdemeanor petty theft. Um, what happens, same scenario, but you're in medieval Europe, mm-hmm. you, choose the, you choose the town or, or the, the country, sure. you choose the time period. I go in and I steal a loaf of bread from the baker and I get caught. Mm-hmm. What am I going to be charged with and what is my punishment? Well, if you then uh, you will be charged with stealing. But back then it wasn't, you know, that nothing was petty back then because stealing is against one of the Ten Commandments and that's all very bad. Um, so in, I always, I, I'm most familiar with, with English uh, law in the medieval okay. era. So I'm, I'm thinking England. Um, so if you, if you go with English law in the medieval era around 1100 or, or so in the, in the Norman, during the Norman rule, uh, you would most likely be thrown in a prison cell for, for a full day with no food or water. And then you would be put in the stocks for maybe a couple of hours to a day or two. Uh, and, and people, again, could throw feces and, you know, slap you around and do whatever they felt like for um for a time and then you would be released and and told never steal again but if you were doing something if you were stealing something much more precious for example if for example to go on the very severe end of things um you if you stole something from the monastery if you if you went and you stole like a a cross from the altar of the church or something like that a religious artifact then that was absolutely an unforgivable offense you know you are stealing from god in that in the eyes of of the of the of all of the of the law at the time and of, of of course the priest or whoever's in charge and um people who stole things of that nature would be put to death and quite tor- they would be tortured and put to death they would usually be publicly tortured um one of the ones that i read which it, i'm sorry this is going to be a little uh graphic is uh he was flayed alive in front of a crowd and um and then he he died from blood loss and pain of course while being flayed alive um and uh and i think they burned him yeah, they burned him first, 
and then they flayed him alive and then they hung the skin up on the church the monastery storage room because he had stolen some scrolls from a monastery of uh, the monastery storage room that the skin of this dead man uh to say don't uh, you know this is what happens to thieves in our all for stealing some scrolls but it was from the monastery it was the property of the wow. church wow and that's, that, that's very yeah <laughs> <laughs> that leaves me speechless I, the the bread part uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, don't get me wrong; it was horrible to be to be thrown in a dungeon for two hours and in the stockade for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't as bad as I thought. But <laughs> scrolls from the monastery, wow. Okay. Yep. It, when in medieval England, it wasn't. I mean, stealing was of course always bad, but the the real focus was on what the person stole, as opposed to the act itself. Like. Well, and it's kind of the same for us, like not not to that extreme degree, but you know, on modern day, you're going to get a lot more uh, trouble. You're you're getting in a lot more trouble if you steal from a jewelry store than if you steal bread from the market. Right. Yeah. Hello. Yes, I'm here. Sorry, can you hear me? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought I lost you. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, again, for those of us who, who are joining in now or are wondering why sometimes I can't hear Hollis is because <laughs> Hollis is joining us from Atlanta. Uh, she's an author, and her latest book is not about medieval punishment, but it's called To Save a World, and it's uh, a, a fantasy fiction. Am I right? Yep. Fantasy adventure, uh, all fiction. It's in an imaginary world. Um, but the, uh, the, w- the main culture of the, of the main characters is actually based off of the Celts of, of, ancient, in, of the ancient British Isles. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, so I actually do, for, for those history buffs out there like you and I, I, I throw a few little nuggets in there for people who... Who like it? Who can, when they're reading the book, they go, "Oh, that's just like the Celts." I see what I see what you did there. <laughs> okay. Um, so, one last thing before I let you go. Uh, right now, um, we're recording this uh, and we're live, mm-hmm. but it's going to be when it gets posted. It won't be live. Today is Friday, so the weekend is coming up, mm-hmm. and uh, in medieval times, Sunday was the Sabbath and you had to go to church. Right. Let's say you miss church. No good excuse. Everybody knows you miss church. Mm-hmm. What are you going to be punished with? What's your punishment for missing church? Surprisingly, probably nothing. Really? Yep. So it that number one depends on whether or not people actually notice. And uh, so somebody first has to notice that you didn't attend church. And and for someone to notice that, they would have you would probably have to be an important person in the community. And and number two, um, for the person who maybe noticed, you would have to be told on. So would have to tattletale. So um, and if you did miss church, most likely the first point of interest would be well let's see what happened because people you know you could be sick the um medieval europe was was not and i would not want to live in medieval europe it was a 
very rough time. I would rather live in societies of of the ancient uh, of ancient Babylon than than I would want to. Li- that would be an easier lifestyle than than medieval Europe. Believe in my opinion, um, but it was you could have been you could have been sick. You could have died. You could have anything could have happened to you. There there could have been a multitude of reasons why. Maybe you were unable to get to church. So if you were noticed and somebody brought it to the attention of, of, of someone, the first thing they would do is check on you. And then if they check on you and your answer was then blasphemous, i.e. I hate church, I don't want to go, then you might be in for some punishment. Then you would be in for the whole blasphemy punishment that we discussed earlier. But right. But in general, no, I mean, if you're, if you're common man, unless you were a noble or, or someone else of high standing in the community that was expected to be there every Sunday, if you didn't go, most of the time people didn't really notice. And most of the time church was very crowded because everyone was supposed to go. And most people did out of fear of anything happening to them, but not fear from the local government but fear of god it was okay it was a fear of god that kept people going to church every sunday and not necessarily like they were like well i'm i'm getting into heaven <laughs> so <laughs> i do have one more question for you so we talked about how the local bishop or priest would technically be the most powerful person in that town because mm-hmm. they get to dispense justice because they're god's voice on earth for lack of a better term sure well, what if they do something wrong um, or are, are they untouchable? I mean, who, who's going to accuse the priest of stealing or, or doing whatever wrong the priest did? What happens then? That's an excellent question. And it often happens. You know, the, uh, the, the priests and people, you have some truly pious, truly kind hearted individuals who go into the church. And my personal experience is that most people who do choose to serve God are, are very, um, are very kind, good people. But of course, especially in the medieval era, you had people who were more power hungry than they were religious. And they got into the church because they wanted the power that came with those positions. So oftentimes they, would honestly be able to freely abuse their power uh, because, because they were the ones who were in charge. Um, And the only way, if you had a a local priest who was, who was being quite awful, if you will, um, would be for someone to go get a higher ranking church official. And, and so you would go to, um, you know, you would travel to the next town or to the closest wherever or, or if you were capable of doing so, write a letter or get someone else who knew how to read and write to write you a letter, usually a religious person. So because <laughs> back right. then, only only people who were part of the church were really taught to read and write officially. And other than that, you just sort of if you learned it great, if you didn't fine, it was not considered important for anyone outside of the church. And um yeah, you would have to go find yourself a higher ranking official who, A, was of a more um, uh, moral nature than the person who is committing the problem, the crimes, and, and B, was willing to do something about it. And then they could step in 
and and carry out punishments and then their punishments if a priest or or, or religious official was caught abusing power then their punishments unless pity was taken upon them for some reason but their punishments were usually very harsh if they were convicted of or it was decided that they they were as horrible as they they you know that that would have been put to death and in probably a public way and uh but first humiliation and possibly torture but yeah but but most of them got away with it because most of the time the people didn't have the means or the fortitude to go find a higher ranking religious person to stop them right so you said you would rather live in babylonian times Mm -hmm. um but it seems like if you were a priest it wouldn't be bad living in medieval times. No, it wouldn't be too bad at all. No, I mean, it was, um, you, you had, you definitely had some power, but even um, stepping away from the law, I, I honestly, like just sanitary conditions alone, it's, it's weird to think about it, but the sanitary conditions of ancient Babylon or, or ancient uh, Sparta were actually cleaner than the conditions of medieval Europe in most cases. And so just the idea you could, you got, you could get sick so much easy, so much more easily in medieval Europe, just from the sheer disgustingness and level of hygiene (laughs) or lack thereof. Fine, fine. Okay, fine. (laughs) Let's live in Babylonian times. That's right. Okay. okay. The outfits are better. All right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Well, thank you, Hollis. Um, again, Hollis is, is an author, um, and her book is called To Save a World. It's available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. Is that is that correct? Or yep, that's okay. Sites as well as being able to order it from any bookstore. You just have to walk in and say, "Hi, I want this book," and give the name, uh, my name, and the title, and they can they can look it up and get it for you. And it's also available on Kindle, is that correct? Yes, it's uh, ebook and uh, paperback. All right. All right, Hollis, it was a pleasure having you on. I uh, enjoyed talking about medieval law and uh, kind of scared me a little bit, but it, yeah. <laughs> it was rather enjoyable. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> it, it was a pleasure, and uh, I hope to speak to you again. Thank you so much, Arash. I appreciate it, and you have a wonderful day. I, I enjoyed our discussion as well. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.